Grab your popcorn and silence those cell phones because the show is about to start. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Rick Blaine is an award-winning film critic featured on thebigscreen.net.org and has been highlighted on over 75 unreleased independent film posters in less than 12 different countries. Nick Brown. He's been the high school projectionist for the AV Club for over nine semesters and can be heard nightly at the theater talking loudly in the row behind you about the film being screened. And now, they're joining forces. Ladies and gentlemen, Rick and Nick Doc Blitz. Boy, it feels like we are properly and truly back now with the podcast, doesn't it, Dave? <laughs> you can't keep us down. That's right. We get knocked down, but we get up again, and you're never going to keep us down. It's not that dramatic. All right. Well, I like that that song anyway. During 90s weekend, I like playing that song. So anyway, welcome to Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. And we are indeed back and rolling, and we're happy to be able to have the podcast free-flowing again with getting our content out there and posted. So I'm Joel Hoover. I'm Dave Brooks. And Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater on Highway 2 just down from the airport. You know, we have had changes going on here with Rick and Nick with our platform that we are posting on. There are changes going on at the Bemidji Ooh. Theater right now, have too. Have you seen what they're going to do? I have seen the oh. pictures of the work going on. I, I haven't seen what it's all going to turn into. Like, have you seen oh, yeah. mock-ups of that? Or? I got, not only that, I got to go into the auditorium. So they got, uh, like, what, 10 auditorium, something like that. They've got half of them torn apart, and the right. other the other half are gone. They are going to basically reduce the seating capacity in every one of their theaters by about half. But what they're putting in there, these are not those padded stadium chairs. These are the Buttmaster 5000s. They recline. <laughs> they're plush. They're gorgeous. Some of them are even like double-up love seats, so you and your date can like really be in the seat together. This is marvelous. And when they get the ones torn apart now and they get them backed up and running, they're going to tear apart the other ones. So by the time we get to summer, all of the theaters should be done by Memorial Weekend, I would think. And when the summer block, block, blockbuster office comes, oh, 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 you're going to love it. Yeah, I can't wait to see how it all works out. Are they going to be updating the screens and projection, yeah. too? Is that what I yes. heard as well? Yes, there's okay. gonna, and some audio systems, too. This is this is there's over a million dollars worth of investment going wow. into this. 1.2 or something like that. It, you're, I remember when they first redid the old Amigo Theater, which is now the Bemidji Theater. Yes. That's what they used to call it, and they really did an upgrade like maybe 10, 15 years ago. When I would go in there for the first few years, I felt like I was some other town. I was like, ah, well, now i got to drive all the way home. Wait, wait. This is, that's, that's right. I'm still in town. I felt like I was on vacation. It was so high-end. I'm going to get that all over again. You can't believe what they're going to be doing. And they should have the ones that are torn apart right now before the end of March should be open, and then they'll tear apart the other ones and part one part two excellent you're gonna I, love it i can't wait i i saw that on social media that they were doing that work i'm super excited to see how it's going to turn out and something to keep in mind too if that is going to reduce capacity a little bit might be a hot ticket for some of the biggest movies moving forward so keep that in mind as well as you make plans in the future for going to catch movies that 
could be a little bit of a hot ticket then, especially for those first few days of release. Some of the more premier seats uh, you can reserve in advance. So you can't just necessarily buy a ticket and walk in and grab the best seat. Maybe. I know AMC's doing something like that, but that's more like which part of the theater you're going to sit in. I don't think all the seats are the same or the really primo middle of the... Anyway, it, it, totally worth it. You're going to love it. If theater attendance is down to a point... Uh, this is going to make it an even more plush experience. Yeah, really can't wait. We love going to the Bemidji Theater, as you can tell, located on Highway 2 just down from the Bemidji Airport. So again, some of the news is a little bit more local and close to home that we have for you to open the podcast today with what's going on there with the Bemidji Theater. And with Rick and Nick, we officially have our new podcasting platform set up that we are posting episodes through. Dave got the credentials all secured and everything for being able to put episodes out. So we have our three most recent episodes where we talked about Superman as well as our spring preview and where we talked about our favorite scenes. They are all posted now. So you've got a Rick and Nick binge that you can enjoy of listening to those episodes and now this one to add on as well. You can check it all out. I It's it's great, Dave. It's set up really nicely. Well, the nice thing is with our new server, was it was only starting here at the beginning of the year and then it kind of bit into late 2022 so as of about mid-December we could you know certainly record an episode we just really couldn't put them up online and so finally we're there we can finally get them up um, but the nice thing is is it's not just like our old server where you go to a site and there they are this is almost like a funnel feeder to a lot of different places Apple podcasting Spotify and other places and we can also post links to those when we put them on our station's websites so it's not going to a site it's going to various sites and there's a couple others too so we are scattered all over everywhere and we're picking up all kinds of new fans uh, of course mainly centralized here in Bemidji Minnesota and northern Minnesota which is where we're based but uh, other states other countries Bulgaria downloaded an episode not long ago. Wow. Okay, hello, Bulgaria. Yeah, so take a listen. Feel free to search as well on whatever platform you like to listen to podcasts through. Just search for Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. You'll see this this funny cartoon image that Dave put together of the two of us um, outside of the theater marquee. You can find that and listen to us talk movies. You know, and if you're just joining us for the first time, finding us for the first time on Apple or Spotify, we, uh, you know, this was a podcast show that was handed to two guys that are just too important and too self-involved to do their own podcast. So they found two stunt doubles that actually like to watch and discuss movies, where it's like talking about the weather. Some people think that's when the end of the conversation is. Well, what about the movies? Well, that's pretty generic. Not for people like Hoove and I. That's something we are passionate involved in. So this talking about a podcast, it's just, it's meant to be. All right. So today we're going to get into a topic that we have scratched the surface on in the past and some, somewhat discussed. But not well, like a full room built as a shrine to this subject. Not specifically no. anyway. Today we are going to talk sequels and we're going to talk about the worst sequels of all time. Dave and I will be taking the plunge into the filth today. And we would warn you about spoilers, yeah. but quite honestly, I don't know if we should today yeah, because yeah. these are maybe movies that you would just steer clear from and that's kind of the idea here unless you like to ambulance chase a little bit <laughs> and feel like watching these movies just to see what a complete and utter disaster they are. 
But in all serious, folks, well, be aware of the spoilers if you are determined to see something like Jaws the Revenge because you've heard it's really, really bad and you've decided, you, i got to see how bad it is. Spoilers. There are going to be spoilers forthcoming, so keep in mind. Some of these movies, uh, at least on my list, goes as far back as the uh, mid-late 70s. So some of them have been out for quite a while, but it's not really about the spoilers. It's just that all of it is bad or we wouldn't be talking about it. couple of caveats here as well. Number one. Prequels do count. We are counting prequels. If they were made after the original, we're going to count that as a follow-up in the series that just ended up being an utter disaster, even though it's not a quote-unquote sequel. Sequels chronologically take place before the timeline of the first movie that you saw. As far as what we're concerned is, they make movie A in 1985 or whatever. Let's do another one. Whether it takes place after or before, it doesn't matter. It's the next movie they made. As far as this is concerned, it's a sequel. Production-wise, it's a sequel. That counts. And number two, this does not necessarily have to be number two in the series. It could be number four, number five, further down the line. Maybe they made two or three really good sequels, and then they had one that just bombed. Looking at you, Godfather 3, as one example. So just to clarify there a little bit, it's not a direct sequel. It's one that could be anywhere in the line. And speaking of direct... You have another caveat as well that you brought. Yeah, I'm not going to take a movie that was like a direct-to-video sequel. Now, there might be a couple special mentions, but otherwise, I'm not going to worry about those. They made it for like $12 compared to like the $12 million they did the first one. You can see there's a big drop-off difference. But also, if the first movie was just like some random movie and the sequel came out and it was a bad sequel, who cares? It doesn't really matter. And then there are some others that... You know, uh, people bring up the Police Academy movies a lot. The first movie was a really good movie, and it's not like the movies just dropped in quality after. Some of them did, yes, but it's you could sit down and have a I'll give you a food uh, metaphor. You could sit down and have some filet mignon, or you can have a handful of Cheetos. Cheetos are wonderful. I love sitting down and having Cheetos, and that's what the Police Academy movies are. They're a handful of Cheetos. It's junk food. It's garbage. You know it is, but garbage can be good garbage, and that's what the Police Academy movies are. They don't all need to be filet mignon. Some of them are better than others, but like Police Academy 4 might be the best of all of them. I mean, maybe, maybe. That's where the debate is. So I'm not going to go trash Police Academy movies or movies that know what they are, and they're just doing what they are. I am immensely thankful because when I look at a lot of these lists for the worst sequels of all time, I have thankfully, gratefully not watched a lot of these. I have just steered clear automatically from a lot of these. However, I, I have stumbled across a few of them. It's it's like tripping over that tree root that you just don't see in the ground. That's what's happened sometimes with yeah. me. You, Dave, you have plunged your hands into the filth a lot more than I have. I don't want to so. say you take that as an insult. <laughs> no, you, you've been you've been at least more bold and willing to see, hey, let's see how this goes. Sometimes I was younger and I was on the couch with HBO and a handful of Cheetos and it was a lazy day and that's where all I got to see a lot oh of these movies. Oh my gosh. And, so it and is what it is. And then you were like, what did I just do with my time? That's what our good friend Scott Williams has said, has been... Like I look back and personally, yes, I have just had time snatched out of my fingertips by this abomination of a film. I could have given money to charity, but instead, I had to not be in the car to drive my check to the you know wherever. I had to sit and watch this. I could have gone to whatever that film was that was next door 
from the one that I stepped into in the theater. I could have run down that hall with a shattered glass while barefoot, but instead I had to sit comfortably and watch this drivel. This is what this episode is all about, so be ready for a little free-floating hostility. That's kind of sick, Dave, but uh, boy, that really escalated. I was, I was going for a Die Hard reference, even though that's the, all those sequels, well, no, up to a point, they got bad, but yeah. that's a whole other story. All right, Dave, let's begin. Where would you like to start? I got a, a couple of little shots. We're going to dive a little deeper on some of these, but a couple just kind of need a real quick passing notice, and I broke it down into a couple of categories. The dishonorable mentions? Yeah, but there's a couple special. Special shout-outs. I mentioned some of the direct-to-videos. The Home Alone movies, one and two, they're some of the better Christmas movies, just fun kids' movies. And then they made two more that were just direct-to-video. They didn't even bother about getting anyone back. Home Alone 3 was direct-to-video? Yeah. It was, okay. It came direct-to-video, did not go into theaters, and there was another one after that. So it, it needs a special distinction. They didn't even try. Clearly somebody, I kind of wonder with some of these sequels that clearly they had no intention of making a good movie. You wonder if maybe there was some you know drug smuggling scheme on the side. I'm meaning this kind of tongue-in-cheek, but you wonder, well, we need to get this package moved over to wherever. Well, let's film a movie out there. It doesn't have to be a very good movie. We won't even try, but we can get the packages out there and we can complete our trafficking. You wonder why they even tried in the first place. But it deserves a little recognition. So Home Alone 3, bad movie. After, what, 15, 20 years, they did another Dirty Dancing movie, Havana Nights. And, I mean, these movies... This was hyped. This was put out in theaters, and it was just so bad. Uh, I don't think even Patrick Swayze was alive when the new one came out. Jennifer Grey, I think, had a cameo appearance quickly. I think, maybe. And then, so bad, it's good. It's got such a cult following around it as Highlander 2, The Quickening. Not that the first one is all that great. I keep seeing that one pop up on some of these lists. It's so bad it is good, almost, oh almost. Oh my I'm not recognize. I'm not saying you should. I'm I don't just even know how that's possible. But. It's got people go to like you know conventions in in their costumes, and they're doing something from Highlander too. It's oh my. so special recognition there, and a special list. Real quick before we really get into this, movies that this was the last quote unquote. You can start the debate if you want. The last good one. After this, things really just kind of fell apart and went downhill. So they should have stopped uh, prior to Poltergeist 3. That was a horrible one. Uh, (laughs) Twilight Saga, you could make the argument they should have stopped while making the first one, but we'll go with New Moon. Came out in 2009. They needed to stop there. Hold on, time out. There was no way they were going to stop, though. (laughs) Like, when you're in the midst of all that and you've got people fawning over the, the... the cast members basically much uh, never mind the story being told ter- terribly um they were not going to stop and then leave the threads no. untethered there why yeah. does it matter when the when the dog has already eaten half the sweater well we got to continue weaving it no you don't you can just let it be a muddy mess <laughs> And just stop right there. That's one of the better metaphors I've heard you give. And you know, you've added some wild ones. Funny enough, a lot of these are horror movies because horror movies are really cheap to make generally, and a lot of people go see them. So a lot of them make bank. Some of the more profitable horror movies of all time are the first Halloween movie, the first Blair Witch movie. People went and saw them. They made bank big time. So a lot of those are horror movies. They should have stopped after Halloween four because the wheels fell off after that. Why did we need a sequel to the new Independence Day resurgence? Oh, gosh. They should have stopped. Gosh. Should have stopped. It, and they they did it 
20 years after the original one, which was but you can't, blo- which you, was blockbuster catnip in the 90s, and then, oh, it, just a dreadful sequel. I do believe Top Gun has just put the kibosh on, how long has it been since the original? Just st- uh, 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 Why? That's the question we've talked about before. Why are we going to do this again? Do you have something to say with Top Gun? Yes, clearly they did. That's a darn good movie, Top Gun Maverick. Well, you know, Jeff Goldblum could use some more paycheck, and, you know, Roland Emmerich, he hasn't had a hit in forever. We're going to do another Independence Day movie, just like Godfather 3. That's why that movie got made, because uh, Coppola needed money, and that's true. Uh, so they should have stopped after that. They should have stopped after Parallel, Parallel, uh, Paranormal Activity 2. Crocodile Dundee 2 was a great movie, and funny enough, part of the plot line of the third one was that they were secretly making these movies because they were smuggling drugs. And so that was the plot line for Crocodile Dundee in Los Angeles. Wow. They should have stopped after Mummy Returns. Uh, The first scary movie was inspired, and everything after that was trash. The Ring, that was a good one. The Ring 2, not a good one. Uh, Taken, after the first movie, Liam Neeson gets credit for this joke. After that, it's just bad parenting. And he's absolutely right. Yep. The first Transformers, Meet the Parents, the first Pirates of the Caribbean, the list goes on, but those are the special shout-outs. Make the version you did and then learn to stop, and they just didn't. I thought 2 and 3 were okay for Pirates of the Caribbean. Obviously yeah. got very overblown. 4 and 5, though, really dropped it off the cliff that much more. Um, they, no pun intended, as they literally dropped off the world. Um, you know, the uh, the, the Dead Man's one. Chest, right? That was the second one? Yeah. The, Davy Jones, fun special effects. There was fun there, but the movie was just drivel. Yeah. And people, everybody sitting in the theater was realizing after they realized their money had sailed off to Hollywood and the box office that this is all I'm going to get is this really good popcorn at the Bemidji Theater, but this movie is horrible. Really quick, one of the few just horrendous sequels that I've been to see in person has been Transformers Revenge of the Fallen, and then I, I believe I went to the... Did I go to the one after that? Yeah, I I think I did go to the the third one, Dark of the Moon. I think I went and saw that one in theaters, too. I look back, I was I was high school slash going into college age when I went and saw those. And just in reflection, it's like, what a terrible decision. At a time where I was I was just starting to go see movies a little more consistently. Like when I got to the later in high school, that's when I started going to see movies in theaters a little bit more regularly. Boy, what a terrible mistake. That high school age Joel made and going to Revenge of the Fallen and then to uh, and then to go see Dark of the Moon in theaters where it was like, you just made a terrible mistake picking out what movie to go and see in theaters like because all the all the magic and goodwill that had come from the first movie and like the cool factor that was there well Michael Bay decided to double down on it and then go even more extreme with it and it just turned into a disaster just and he can't walk away unscathed Spielberg was involved in those movies Spielberg is making bank off of people hating those movies so if he can make another and there's another one coming uh, the Beast version is coming well, out this year. Spielberg made bank off a bad sequel of his own with The Lost World yeah, with I, Jurassic I, Park. I like that one. It wasn't anywhere near as good as the original. Bad sequel? No. F- inferior? Absolutely. But certainly very, very right. watchable. Bang average then. Yeah. About that? Nothing special, but just go. you'll live if you don't see it. But, you know, yeah. that, doable. So that brings us to the main event of the show. And basically these are the movies that... Either the first movie was a huge hit, maybe everyone knew it was going to be a huge hit, or it came out of nowhere and became a huge hit. Well, let's capture lightning again. Eh, wrong. Or 
These were movies that were hyped. I mean, there was a sizable budget of marketing put behind this, and it was just a steaming pile in the snow. It was bad, 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 and that's where we go. So some of these we'll get a little more in-depth on. Some we're just going to try to breeze by as you should. But I'm just going to say this, too. We've said before. Like Revenge of the Fallen. I knew this was going to be a bad movie when it came out. So I have made no attempt to see it. And one night, uh, we were on vacation out of town somewhere. We're in the hotel, and they had, I don't know, HBO or Cinemax or whatever. And it was on, and it was just starting. It was a long day. My wife fell asleep immediately. It's like, well, I, is it really as bad as everyone says? I'm not paying to see this. Oh, thank goodness. Might as well. I'm in a hotel. I'm barely asleep. Who cares what's on the TV? You yeah. Know? And yeah, it was bad. It was really bad. Yeah. So if you really, really want to see these, well, I saw part one through seven. I got to see eight. You go right ahead and you see eight. Sometimes experiencing those gives you the communal experience that Hoove and I are sharing with you on a really bad yeah. trip. Speaking of which, you give me a call next time when you're pondering such a thing, and I'll, <laughs> I'll walk you through it. <laughs> I, I'm going to I'm going to warn you, I may have over-prepared for this. It just, I was like, I'll come up with like five or six This is or a seven. volcanic eruption in yeah, here. I had to, I, I finally had to put on some stone galoshes and jump off the bridge to stop myself. But uh, I yeah. actually, it was so many, I had to alphabetize these. So these. Oh, wow. <laughs> they're only in order by alphabetizing. So okay. that's how many there were. So let's get right off. You know, the first one came out in 92, and it was it was stylish. It really was. And if you look it up, it's actually done not as a sequel, but as a companion to a Hitchcock movie, Vertigo. Basic Instinct, Michael Douglas and Sharon Stone. I Whether you're into sex scenes or not, this was a good thriller of a movie. And I'll admit, when this movie first came out, I was all in it to see it for those scenes. But as you get Little into the- extreme for my taste. As you get into the movie and you start getting pulled in by the story, you start getting tense and you're on the edge of your seat. And during one scene, you, it's, a, it's an erotic scene, but is she going to kill him? Is she- is, This is this the moment? This Oh my, here it comes! Ah! And you're really tense because the movie's got you. That's a good movie, and it was stylish. It was well done, and I think it was almost 30 years later. Sharon, they've been talking about making a second one forever and a day. Sharon Stone, this made her career. Not to mention, she was in one of the Police Academy movies, and she's had a couple movies, you know, prior to that. But this launched her career. Forget Total Recall. This launched her career. She wanted it again and was pushing for it, and nobody wanted to do it except for her. They finally, it almost feels like, all right, fine, Sharon, we'll just do this. It was 14 years later, I believe, 2006. You're right. It was closer to 50 years after the first Basic Instinct. It felt like 50 years. It was just crazy. And they finally did Basic Instinct 2. There is nothing good about this movie at all on any level. Nothing. Even the score that Jerry Goldsmith did for the original, it's classic. There's nothing here. I think they recycled an Alpo dog commercial theme song for the theme song for Basic Instinct 2. Nothing is good. There's nothing stylistic. There's nothing to say. It Everything that the first one brought, this one didn't even think to pack in the bag. It just, eh, let's just make sure and happy. Let's just... I had the K9 Advantix song go through my mind when you said it recycled something from a dog commercial. Meow mix. Meow, 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 meow. Basic <laughs> instinct. Basically, it stinks. Dun, dun, dun. That's what this movie is. It's bad. Yeah, I keep seeing that one pop up time and again. Like I said there earlier, Basic Instinct, not necessarily not my, my cup of tea. Not really what I get into, but I have read those things about the appeal of the first one and how much how much it really resonated then with the thriller genre and how the the sequel the follow up 
without that without that duo at the very top of it with um with Sharon Stone and with Michael Douglas, Michael Douglas yeah. that that really front ran what made that movie work without that that automatically was a strike against it but then everything else like you pointed out there was just completely second rate by comparison that's everything i keep seeing and reading about it i remember there was a lawsuit filed because they weren't making this movie i have to think wait what i have to think that the reason they made it was to settle the lawsuit. Well, fine. If we make this movie, then will the lawsuit go away? Fine. How much is the lawsuit? $40 million. How much can we make the movie for? Twelve. How can you sue somebody for not making a movie? Uh, it's long and complicated. You, there's a story behind this. You can Google it. This is a good white trash read if you want to. But uh, oh basic. the only reason I started with Basic Instinct 2 is because, again, alphabetizing the list. And that's why the next one brings me to... Batman and Robin. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Guys. Now let me say this. So we bring Batman to the big screen really seriously and I don't mean the Adam West version. I mean Tim Burton 1989, Michael Keaton. This was great. The second one Shout my, out Michael Keaton coming back in the Flash. My yeah, my the sequel not my favorite. It wasn't bad. But then you get Joel Schumacher involved with Batman Forever. He kind of makes it look a much more stylish, uh, less dark and gothic-y, comic book-esque. But then it went way far down that road. Now, whether you liked Batman Forever or not, I thought it was an improvement over Batman Returns myself, personally. Really? I did. Solid movie. Yeah. Different, different, definitely a different route from very what had been done with Tim, Tim Burton. Very yeah. different tone. Uh, I think it was an improvement over. I mean, there are things of Batman Returns that are, are truly iconic, and things of Batman Forever that aren't. But really, what Batman Forever was over the Batman Returns was more fun. It was a true fun action movie where you could go home and play with the Batman action figures. What scene were the kids going to play from Batman Returns? Well, I could play. No, that was kind of. Oh, I could do. No, that was. Batman Forever was built for comic books and selling toys, and that's what those movies really are. You can There's a whole different thing when you get to the Dark Knight trilogy. That's a whole other thing. But Batman and Robin was all about the toys and only the toys. What can we market? I remember I was in college when that movie came out. They had those Freezy Pops that you could put in the freezer and you could have like the it's like a little straw of fruit juice and it freezes some. they marketed those for Mr. Freeze for Batman and Robin they marketed everything there was broccoli i remember in a bag with Batman's logo on it they were marketing everything they could to like get all the money they could cuz they knew they were about to run this thing into a train and we better get all the money we can. Arnold Schwarzenegger was top billed. He's not even Batman. And that's been done before. Yeah. Nicholson was billed over Keaton, Brando over Reeve in the first Superman movie. Okay, that's its own argument. But everything about this movie was so camp, so cliche, to the point where it's not so bad it's fun. It was so bad it's that bad. You know, part of the shame of it is when you look at the cast list, it's Great amazing. Cast. Yeah. It's an amazing cast of people that they got. And Joel Schumacher completely botched it. Because, yeah, you've got Schwarzenegger who's coming in as Mr. Freeze and who's who's at the peak of his powers in terms of influence and, and the movies he had been in the 80s and 90s. You have Clooney starting to step onto the big screen now, coming off of what he was doing with ER at the time. You have Chris O'Donnell, who's who's a big-time name. By this point, Alicia Silverstone has become a big time name by this point with what she had done in Clueless. And 
her and O'Donnell, great young actors on their way up. Uma Thurman. You've got Uma Thurman, who's in the midst of a great decade that's going on for her. And you completely waste all of those talents on horrendous suits and weird filming of said suits and just a complete mess of dialogue and something that just was awful. Yeah, but you gotta you gotta you gotta take a step back to really be true and fair here. Now Schumacher deserves blame absolutely, but you can't tell me that if you took something from Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy and just inserted one quote call it a bad shot of the bat suit with weird lighting that just doesn't really work, a la Schumacher, that wrecks the movie. No, it's a bad choice. It's one little teeny, you know, uh, piece of rhinestone on the denim jacket that doesn't fit, but the rest of the jacket works. Okay, that doesn't wreck the jacket. It's a oops, little flaw, little blooper. Everything about this movie was bad. Studio involvement in this movie. You got to think some guy with a high back leather chair. I want Schwarzenegger in this. Well, who would you have him play? I don't care, but give me Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, but he can't. Yeah, I don't. Not a so good fit. People were making decisions that I don't know why they were making these decisions. And Joel Schumacher, in a lot of ways, was literally just handed a pile, make it work. Okay. And he made it stylistic and he made some interesting choices and some bad choices and maybe one or two good choices, maybe. Uh, and he's got a good body of work. I mean, Phone Booth, he did after that. And that's a good movie. The Lost Boys, stylistic and good. He knows what he's doing. Except it's hard to make that argument with Batman and Robin. Bottom line, it was a mess of creative preparation um, yeah. from the top all the way down to what was happening there on the ground level. And, yeah. and what you get, again, is a steaming pile of dung. Yeah. Real quick on the next one, uh, I don't think it need, it's, it's so bad it just deserves a quick mentioning, really. Book of Shadows, Blair Witch 2. Bad, bad follow-up. And, I mean, Blair Witch Project, again, goes down as one of the most profitable movies ever because it took $1.99 to film it. You, I mean, you yep. get these kids lost in the woods. There's no dialogue. They're all hand-holding their own equipment. Everybody was sleeping in tents. They didn't go to the Holiday Inn unless they were the directors. There's no money spent, and it worked. Whether you liked it or not is a whole other story, but it was hugely profitable, and there was a lot to be said about it. This one, I think, is technically a prequel, I think, but it is just has nothing to do with the original at all. The difficulty that Blair Witch faced with putting a sequel on was that you are losing the aura that surrounded the release of the first one, which, like you said, yeah. was made on a dime, and it was made completely simple. But what helped that so much was yeah. guerrilla marketing and taking this concept and raising the question of was this real, was it not, with the found footage and the advent of using the internet, which I know you and I discussed in a previous episode when we talked about Blair Witch. The way they use the internet to be able to fuel interest regarding the movie, you just can't recapture that again the no, same you're way. Right. You're not going to be able to recapture that again. And then if you have a poor product of a movie to go with, you just, you've got a problem. Yeah, and you know, you can't understate what Hoove just said. The way this film was marketed, I think, was a one-off. I don't think you could ever do it again because everyone will know you're marketing it. But because this movie was so underground with starring nobodies, some, no offense to anybody that have gone on to good things, but at the time, who? Huh? But who? it raised the question then yeah. of just how real is this? There was, and I don't want to draw the comparison, but you have to. There was a really cheesy throwaway trasher gore fest movie back in the 80s called Called Cannibal Holocaust. And the cast members, 
uh, they hid them away so Sometimes that it would seem I more realistic. How do you know these things? Because it went to court. Oh. They had to prove in court that the actors in the movie were not actually killed in a snuff film. Oh my god! They had to produce them in court. Yes, this was done with this appliance over my face, and that's not really the. They had to prove that these people weren't actually killed on camera because the realistic effects. Something similar took case with the first Blair Witch Project is that these characters, these actors and actresses. Nobody knew who they were, and they weren't being cast in anything yet. So, did they really disappear out in the woods? Oh well, God. how would you know? If, if, I mean, if 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 George Clooney dies in the woods, and they market it this way, well, of course you know it's not real because I just saw pictures of him from the paparazzi down in the Riviera. They didn't have that with Blair Witch, so it was really I need to see this. And whether you liked it, whether you didn't like it, that's a whole other story. But it was a huge hit. It's one of the most profitable horror movies ever made. And then came Book of Shadows. Okay, so this next one, it's a comedy classic that I rev- I like. Oh, boy. Yeah, I certainly I, like I it. I know where you're going with this because of the alphabetical order. Yeah. Scott, this was what Scott interjected, and, and he, he was just appalled that he even Personally spent time Personally offended. This. Yeah. You know, the first Caddyshack movie, I just watched it not that long ago, and it's a comedy classic. It really is. But really what it is is a bunch of sketches loosely connected with a plot thread. You are correct. I, I, I'm As a kind of an unpopular opinion, I do like the movie, but I also like it for what it is. Oh, it's the best comedy ever. It isn't. It just isn't. It's got great talent. It would be better used if they had a good plot line. And that's exactly what went wrong when they did Caddyshack 2 because nobody wanted to be a part of this, not in front of or behind the scenes. With the exception of Chevy Chase, who basically talked himself into a small cameo, nobody from the first one in front of or behind the scenes other than the producer is in, is back for this. And the problem, too, is I've read about Caddyshack, too, that, that people who've reviewed it have gone, Chevy Chase isn't even trying here. No. It's like he's sleepwalking through this and picking up a check. He got a vacation at a golf club. He gets to go keep on golfing. Chevy, we need you for the shot over here. All right, you do the shot. You go back and golf. Other than Kenny Loggins with a pretty good song, actually, Nobody's Fool was from the soundtrack. He had done the song from the first one. That's it. That is it. Nobody was back. They wanted Harold Ramis back to be writing it. He, yeah, it didn't work for more than 12 minutes. Dangerfield didn't come back. He was signed originally until he realized what a dumpster fire was turning into. Thankfully, he got out of it. Uh, no Bill Murray. Oh, they got Dan Aykroyd instead. And what he does with his character, which is kind of like Carl the Groundskeeper-esque. He's this military guy that's going to take out the the guy the bad guy or good guy I should say and he was really doing a parody of Oliver North you can look up Iran Contra you can listen to Oliver North testify and he kind of has this high kind of squeaky voice so he's trying to do a parody off of that that really didn't work everything about this movie is bad it just with one song that's it and even it's not the best song Kenny Loggins did but it's not bad it's that ugh. It's not even one that you need to watch to see how bad it is. And HBO played it a lot when I was younger, and I don't know why. Probably because Warner Brothers owns HBO, but that's about it. Uh, it, it really was not good. And they were like, hey, we need to push this a little bit and get people to watch. Yeah. Let's go down to one of considered one of Gosh. the worst sequels of all time, particularly with the horror genre, because of how impactful the first one was, The Exorcist. They made The first one, whether this is your cup of tea or not, yeah. is irrelevant. This was a huge book. It was a huge movie, and it yes. was, it's become infamous. Well, we got to do it again. 
So they do, in 1977, Exorcist to the Heretic. And they actually brought back Linda Blair, who was the little girl in the first one. She's now, I don't know, early teens or mid-teens, something like that. And they bring her back. But this was such a drawn-out, boring drag of a movie. Richard Burton is also in it, just because I think he needed budget for the liquor cabinet. And it just it wasn't good. It was, everything about it was bad. And it only, at the very, very end, did it have anything really to tie back into the original. It was a lot of talking about something that might be going on. And they just kind of, so not only is it bad acting, it's just under a lot of hypnosis. And so they talk a lot like this, and a monotone droll. Uh, there's nothing scary about it. It's, there's everything that made the original infamous is just nowhere to be seen. This is somebody thought they'd make money off of this, and that was it. That was the only reason they did it. There's no story. There's nothing. Yeah, off of us, off of an original premise that was so based in terrifying scenes and terrifying individual moments in there and a lot of them as they piled one on top of another on top of another and you go how did they film that how did they put that together how did they get the sound to work out that way yeah it it's as if they lost sight of what made that movie the classic that it was and made it as harrowing as it was and instead got caught up in trying to explain things away. You want to go see a good example of a sequel that barely touches base to the original? Go see the third Exorcist movie. It's not almost barely not at all connected to the franchise at all. Barely. But it's really good. It's its own thing. George C. Scott. And it's got one of considered one of the best jump scares of all time. Uh, so that's there. there's that. We've touched base on this next one a little bit. So do I have the only list? Is that it? And you were... You were You've got the list, man. Okay. I, I've got a few that are in mind, but you're you're touching on ones as All we right. go here. This one I know you can do. Tell me about Godfather Three. Godfather Three. Well, I actually haven't watched it. Really? Yeah, I have not seen. I've seen Godfather One and Two, but again, this is one of those sequels that I've heard so many bad things about that I've just steered clear. I don't want to rent it. I don't want to go that direction. I've read about it and read. Uh, well, Sofia Coppola is a big part of the story with this movie. I am fully aware of that, and I know she is a big part of the controversy regarding it. But you mentioned it earlier with Francis Ford Coppola essentially needing to make some money and going, all right, why not bring the story home here and tell the final tale? I mean, they obviously left a thread for a sequel, uh, another sequel at the end of Godfather 2, but but they decided to go this route. And even though they had that re-release a couple of years ago that has improved some thinking regarding the movie, it's still, they're they're fighting against what has been long considered to be a, a really poor sequel. Let me now. This is a really good moment to take a quick sidebar here. This is a big movie that you haven't seen. You're a big movie fan. I'll make an admission. Up until through two or three years ago, I hadn't seen it either. Yeah. Now here's the story. For the same reason? No. Well, yeah. But I got here's the reason why. Real quick side story. A couple years ago, my wife for my birthday gave me some movie poster, and it's like a hundred scratch off yes. lottery ticket type looking things, and behind every scratch off thing is one of what this. The people who made the poster consider the 100 best movies of all time. So I could scratch all of them off immediately, but there's no fun in that. So we had moved to this house, and I was like, all right, we can only scratch them off if we watch the movie in the house. So it's like filling the house with good juju. Well, The Godfather was on was on the in the one and two. I was like, well, you know, this is a good opportunity. If I'm going to watch one and two and scratch them off, I should probably finally see the third one. So here's, see, I didn't do that a few months ago when I watched one and two. So here's the sidebar. I finally, I've finally i seen the first two, I don't know, several times. 
I'd never seen the third one. Finally, all right, let's see the third one. And for the same, so here's the sidebar. We'll get back to Godfather here in a second. There are some movies that are bad, and there are sequels that are bad, that we're just probably not really going to touch base on because for the same reason, we know they're bad. We don't really want to see them because we are going to have to subscribe to a streaming service or as much as we love going to a particular theater, I don't want to see this movie there. I'd like to see another movie there. So there are some that are really bad on these lists that we're probably, we might mention the title and move right on because I don't want to see that movie. And Godfather 3 was one of them. And literally this movie got made because Coppola had you know, basically built his own film studio that was making bad movies and he was losing money hand over fist. Some of the other actors were involved and they wanted to make hand over fist. This is why Robert Duvall was not in the third one. He wanted to be paid as much as Pacino and Diane Keaton. They each got a million each or whatever it was and they were going to pay him less. And he's... I don't think it's even an argument. He's equal with them, not just his stature as an e- as an actor, but, I mean, necessary to the plot. He wanted to be paid equal, not more, just as much. They said, nope, because they needed money, and Duvall's out of the movie. So yep. it, it, yeah. Winona Ryder was going to do the role that Sofia Coppola did, and she was making movies like every every three weeks. She'd started on a new movie. Yeah. She was exhausted. Yeah. She gets to France or wherever they were filming it, and she was just completely bedridden and just exhausted and they had to figure it out and they recast a little nepotism with uh his the daughter it's not a good movie it just isn't they should have stopped and while there were threads that could have gone beyond two it would have been a good end you know you know that this guy's going to self-destruct michael corleone you don't need to see it you know and that's exactly what you see is this crumbling you know that it's coming i don't need to see it you know there's a punch coming to the face to the good guy i don't need to see it that's exactly what the third one is all about. And the problem was the manner in which they went about telling yeah. of his fall yeah. just did not resonate fully and properly and not in the same way of what you saw with what had built this story up in the previous two movies. So. Yeah, I, I totally agree. If you have not seen the Godfather movies, you're into the newer movies, but you realize there's a breadth of great movies that came out before your time, that's totally cool. You can't help when you're born. Go back and look back at some yeah. great things. See one and two. You will live a fine, full life if you don't see three. You, oh, you got to see it to get the complete. No, you don't. You, ju- you really don't. That's what I tell people about Rocky Five. Yeah. When they're going through the Rocky series, just taking a sidebar here into one of the ones that I had coming in for this, I'm like, listen, if you watch Rocky one through four and you enjoy those movies, which you should, those are good movies. Uh, some are better than others, but they're they're all enjoyable. Stop there. Stop there. Do not bother. With Rocky Five, I can quickly give you a synopsis on what happened with with that movie. The important stuff to note. Don't bother. Do not bother. Skip over. Go to Rocky Balboa. You will enjoy that you took that alternative route. Rocky Balboa, you will enjoy, and then get into the Creed movies, and both of them so far have been excellent. Yeah, so I would agree. Drop Rocky Five from the entire Rocky slash Creed franchise, and you're good to go. Exactly. Five is just pulling the wind out of your sails. It's unnecessary to even delve into. You you will watch it, and you will pull your hair out and go, why did I bother with this? Yeah. And you don't need to. Don't put yourself through that torture of having to watch that movie. Yeah, it's, no, he was going through a bad period at that point, and it just, no, skip it. Yeah. Another one to skip. The first one is is not as squeaky clean as I remember. It's fun when you see it with adult eyes. Grease 2, did we need one? Now, Grease is a 50s movie that was filmed in the late 70s. You know how I feel about Grease. 
I don't actually. You, you don't? No. I, I thought I had talked about this before. I think Greece tells a horrible story. I, I think it, it kind of does. I think the theme of Greece is terrible because they sell out. She sells out at the end. Olivia Newton-John's character. Um, what's her name? Uh, uh, Sandy. Yeah, Sandy. She sells out well, at the end of the movie. Well, and so does John Travolta on the way, Danny. He becomes the preppy for a while. I guess, yeah, Danny kind of does himself too. But boy, I, I mean, man, she sells out hard at the end of that movie. It's like, what the heck? This is all about conformity here and not exactly great conformity. It's like peer, peer pressure conformity here. And uh, Yeah, you get catchy tunes that are out of it. And yeah, the credits rolling with Grease is the word uh, from Frankie Valley and stuff. Yeah, it sounds great. Good, Some really good tunes in there. But I don't know. Like plot-wise, not a big fan uh, thematically of what they get into there. I just watched it again for the first time in a long time. I'd seen it a bunch of times, but I watched it when I was much younger. That movie has got so much adult content in it, and I mean like adult content oh, well, that, that you don't even think about. The lyrics to Grease Lightning? I had that one playing in the car with my kiddo. Oh, he'll love this one. And then I started hearing bombs coming out of this, the lyrics that I didn't even remember were in there. I remember dancing to that song in whatever grade it was. I don't think the teacher was listening at all. There is not an Effenheimer, but I mean, there's some adult language in that song. I mean, hardcore. So, I mean, it is what it is. I think it's one of those great examples of rose-tinted glasses. It's about nostalgia anyway, because 50s nostalgia in the 70s was huge. Happy days and so forth. Oh, yeah. And surely, Greece. And it is was- the word. Greece is the word. And is the word that you heard. Right up until 1983. Michelle Pfeiffer, one of her first movies, but it's- Nope, we did all we needed with the first one. See it on stage, by all means. Go see the Broadway version, absolutely. But anything beyond that, I think we're done. And then we come to, just because it's the middle of the pack, and it's because it's probably the king of worst movies ever made, especially when you factor it up to the original, Jaws the Revenge. I knew you were going there. Yep. You you just told Scott, watch the first one, watch the second one, you're yeah. good. You're yeah. good. You're good. Yeah. You, no no need to bother. Spielberg, you know, the original book is very different from the movie. So if you haven't ever read the book, I don't think the book is that great, honestly. I think it's certainly gripping and it's not a bad book, but the movie is so much better. And there's a whole lot of plot elements in the book that just aren't in the movie. Very, very different. But the way that this movie came together, nothing worked. Not the shark, not the script, nothing. But these were craftsmen. And Spielberg gets a heck of a lot of credit, but he was also assembling a very, very good cast. Roy Scheider and Robert Shaw and and other people around him, even smaller characters, were actually people behind the the scenes. Not just carried the day, they helped him craft this. This ultimately turned into like a theater workshop with people that all knew what they were doing, a great Almost rookie director. He had done one or two movies prior to this and some TV work, but he hadn't proven his chops yet. But he clearly knew what he was doing. Uh, and they the, the scene about the Indian the USS Indianapolis. It's one of the creepiest scenes. Spielberg had a had a part to do with that, but some other writers, including Robert Shaw, who delivered it, there were about three people that all directly contributed to making that what it was. And it's one of the creepiest scenes in the movie. And it just is an example of when you get people that know what they're doing and you let them do what they do, they wow, they make it work. The second one is a worthy follow-up. 
Uh, it's nowhere near as good as the original, but you won't kick yourself in the crotch if you find yourself watching it on TNT some night. You will the moment that the entire notion of the shark taking revenge comes into the picture. You will kick yourself if during the closing credits of Jaws 2, our Jaws marathon continues and you leave the TV on. Jaws 3D is watchable, but it is not good. Jaws the Revenge is a whole other thing. This there is, you'll have to Google it, go down to YouTube and look up Richard Jenny Jaws. He's a comedian, uh, and he did about a five-minute routine on the Johnny Carson era of The Tonight Show about Jaws that is just funny. It's it's good. I, that's all I'll say. Go watch it. It's about The series five or about the revenge? Does it matter? It's, it's, it's you know, the Jaws is good. But then I was watching TV one night, and you, you watch it. You'll see. But the fact that there were elements of the plot on the script that never got filmed, but part of them... They just never took them out of the storyline. This is an example of how not to make a movie. There was going to be a subplot. This needs a somewhat of a deep dive because it is that bad of a movie. There were, so how does the shark follow this family who literally has an attack back at Amity Island, which is basically Martha's Vineyard? Well, let's get out of here. Let's go somewhere where the shark can't follow us. Let's go to the Bahamas. You know, which is an island surrounded by ocean water. So nowhere that a shark would ever be found, of course. Why wouldn't you go to Nebraska? There's no ocean anywhere near Nebraska. You want to escape a shark? Go to Nebraska. Unless there's a corn shark of some sort that we've never seen, then that's a whole other kind of a Jaws movie, which actually might have been a step up from what Jaws the Revenge became. Not only that, didn't the shark arrive in the Bahamas prior to the airplane in which they were flying? How did the shark get their travel plan? There was a subplot that was designed to be part of the movie that involved a witch doctor that put a curse on the Brody family, and the shark was the instrument of doom. That plot was dropped. It was not included in the movie, but elements of it never got taken out. So there's no there's all these questions about stuff. These inexplicable things yes. that are taking place that you just have no thread for. So Michael Caine shows up in this movie. Two funny things about this. Just oh prior gosh. to doing Jaws the Revenge, he was in a movie called Hannah and Her Sisters. He won the he won an Academy Award for that part. He was not there to accept the award because he was too busy at Universal Studios filming Jaws the Revenge. What a sad, sad subplot. Not only that, oh, somebody asked One of the him, best actors of our generation, and that's that's where he was when he couldn't accept his Oscar. One funny part about this, somebody asked him after the movie had come out, Do you have you ever you, you know that it's a bad movie. Have you ever seen it? And his response is classic. I'm paraphrasing, but what he said was uh, no, I've not seen it, but they paid me a lot of money, and I've seen that the house that the money built, and the house is fabulous. That's <laughs> funny. That's classy. That's the best part that came out of Jaws the Revenge. Not only does the shark look as fake as it ever looked, there's rigging attached to the shark that is in the camera view, not even like a little bit. I mean, like you could see the the the, the crane, the structural, the hydraulics oh, no. going into the shark. Oh no, it's that bad. There's actually a YouTube video now you can look where somebody actually somehow did much better effects and they kind of inserted it in. It looks almost better. Anyway, there's so much bad about this movie and there's decent cast members. I mean, Michael Caine, come on. Uh, Lance Guest, who had a flash in the pan in the mid-80s where he was just kind of the young everyman. Mario Van Peebles is in it. Um, uh, Lynn, what's her last name? Uh, accomplished actors and actresses. There was talent in this movie that just, no. You can't give horrible lines to really good actors and expect them to turn it around if De Niro played the Michael Caine character. It still would have been a soggy, wet mess. 
And not only that, there are two distinct, very different endings to the movie, depending on if you're watching it on TV, if you're watching it on some sort of home video, DVD or whatever, did you see it in the theater, to the point where it is entirely different. Did one character live or die? Depends on the movie, even though it's clear in all versions that the shark chomped down on him to the point like Quint in the first one, he's spewing blood, but in one version he lives and the other he doesn't. The shark stabs him or the shark blows up. It's one of the two, and all of them are bad. It's just... <laughs> I found the photo. It's with, truly abysmal. With, with the shark being propped up. That's... Oh, yeah, it's what, it's not good. What a mess. It is not good. Everything about this movie is bad, but do I recommend it? Do you like to stub your toe? If you are masochistic, then I highly recommend it. If you are determined to see, I need to see some of the worst movies just so we can have fun at Perkins some night over pancakes talking about the worst movies we ever saw, then you'll want this one in your armory to be able to pull out and say, well, guys, sit down. I got the crown right here. Jaws the Revenge. If you, yes, it is If you wish bad. to take revenge on somebody who you greatly dislike, this may be the movie for you. It's just that bad. Yeah. All right. So Let's that, move on. Move on. We'll do this one next one kind of quickly. The first one is really, really good. Legally Blonde 2. Did anyone remember they made a sequel? Red, White, and Blonde. Oh, I've heard of it. 2003. This is shortly after 9-11, so everyone's being ever extra patriotic, and that was part of it. But the whole movie, well, my goodness, this was a flash of lightning that was caught in a bottle. Let's do it again. Nope. Just pass. You know, I like Reese Witherspoon. I think she'd be good in anything, but she still needs dialogue to say. There needs to be a plot. And it's the classic it. sequel mistake when they don't work is that you try to capitalize on the success of the first one and then you have an ill-conceived plan for the second one. Look at Zoolander 2. That's you know, another bottom example. of my list because oh. it's a Z. All right. We'll no, jump, no, no, we'll we, no by, all means, yeah. by all means. Let's jump ahead to Zoolander 2. By all means. Well, I didn't. I didn't see it. I just know that that was the case with it. I'm. I'm fully aware that that's what happened there. It's. It was the same thing because they just kept asking, "Is there going to be a follow up? Is there going to be a sequel? Is there going to be a sequel?" And then they go back, much like the Dumb and Dumber series, and and you're like, "Why? Why did we bother going through with this if it was if it was a poor plan that you had from the get go and not not having a good sense?" And plus the. When you are following up a zany movie, there, there's a little bit of a zany element to, to Legally Blonde. Not quite the same, though, and not, not nearly the same yeah. as Zoolander. When you're following up a zany movie or a zany comedy movie that, that strikes a chord because of that kind of manner that it has, it is very hard to recapture that again. It, yeah. it really is because it strikes a chord. A lot of people really appreciate it for being offbeat like that. And you're going to find the going tough to be able to have that work out again. And I think that was the case with Zoolander. I, you know, I'll tell you something, maybe an unpopular opinion. I wasn't wild about the first one. I mean, there's moments that were okay, but I remember seeing that in the theater and leaving very underwhelmed. Uh, that movie came out in, was it 2000, 2001, somewhere in there? It was around there, yeah. I thought that whole year was a swing and a foul tip. Everything that happened that year, and 9-11 was another story. That was a seriously gutter ball. Um, everything was bad about that, the movie. I didn't think it was that good. I didn't think it was that funny. I didn't think anything about it was all that great. And there's a few other movies like that that I think. So when Zoolander 2 came along, I kind of feel like everybody else finally caught up with me. They realized, well, maybe you know, there's some things that were okay, but I wasn't loving that movie. And the second one, I also did not bother to see past halfway because uh, I was forced into watching that one. And oh, it did boy. not take long to realize I knew I was right. Uh, 
need we say anything else? I guess not. Another one where you had oh, you, you did mention something though that I will uh, defend the Dumb and Dumber. Now the the prequel one when Harry met Lloyd. Yeah, I'm on board. That's, that's bad. That's what I'm talking about. That's there. bad. But yeah. that was. When they did the most recent Dumb and Dumber 2, I liked that movie. I thought it was fun. I have heard people say that they that, that one hit a little bit better for them it's in like, their minds. It's yeah. like any of the others, is it better than the original? No. But you, you have to understand going to a sequel, with rare exceptions, they never are. But are you going to enjoy yourself? Is it fun? Is it more of the original and does it bring something new? Does it check those boxes? I think in all of the categories, yes. I think Dumb and Dumber 2 is uh, a very good sequel. I liked it a lot. I would recommend it. Uh, it's not as good as the original, but it's... It's, it's, it's not Dumb and Dumber-er. No. Yeah, Dumb and Dumber-er was the, yeah, yeah. the prequel. That was bad. Back on track. My Girl. What a fun movie that was. It was sweet. It was tender. And they said, well, let's do it again. And they shouldn't have. It just, you know, Macaulay Culkin, we did mention spoilers, doesn't show up in the sequel because he doesn't live past the first one. And that's such a tender moment. It's a tragic moment, but it's a tender moment. But everybody else is back. Anna Shlumsky is back. And this is kind of, in a lot of ways, the only thing she's really known for. She still works today, but she's not out front and center like she was with my girl. Daniel Aykroyd and uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. Um, it's a great cast, very tender. And the I think they said all they needed to with the first one. So by the second one, it was just like you bring the cast out for a bow and okay, entertain us. Uh, I don't, I don't know what I'm supposed, and that's what my girl too is. It's just standing there, great talent with nothing to do. All right, controversial and a sequel. Okay, let's hear this. So in 1980, there was a movie that, for a lot of reasons, or early 80s, was very controversial called The Blue Lagoon. Brooke Shields is the biggest star that was in it. She was a kid. And the, some of the stuff that I think she was like 14, they needed to have you know parents on set. They needed to have documents signed because they're showing a lot of nudity. Oh, boy. And it's about- Yeah, I've heard about It's it. about a shipwreck and they're related. So they fall in love, but they're related and they have a kid. And at the end of the movie, it's left ambiguous as to whether they live or die. But most people kind of assume they died. 1991, they do a sequel, The Return to the Blue Lagoon. With people that are recast, nobody's back. Now, what was controversial here with you bringing this up? The movie itself? The or, first movie. Or the fact that the, the, that this is a bad sequel? Because We're, what I have seen is that this is commonly on the list of worst sequels ever. Yeah, it is. For, for a lot of reasons. So the first movie is its own debate. You have that debate whether that's a good movie or not a good movie. Some people really liked it. Some people thought, well, it's a, it is an okay movie because at the heart of what it is, you just don't know better. You don't know enough to know better. Because you're just you're young, you just don't get it. You weren't taught that's not what we do. So when you're just left to your own devices, and there's nobody except this other you know young boy, young girl having to grow up stranded on an island to survive, you don't know any better. But did the filmmakers did they should they have known better? That's the big debate. That's the first one. To make the second one, they had to retcon like crazy. Everybody dies at the end of the first one. Oh, but they're back. They had to recast. So the Brooke Shields role is actually a very young Mia jo- I, I'm going to miss up, mispronounce her name. I apologize. Mila Jojovic. You've seen her in The Fifth Element. You've seen her in the Resident Evil movies. Right. She was young, and so she is the recast Brooke Shields character. They're all dead, and there's no kid anyway. Well, wait a minute. Wasn't there a kid in the boat with them when they all died and they ate the berries they weren't supposed to eat and blah, 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 blah? 
So so now they get stuck on the island again. It's almost like a remake of the first movie with people that should be dead but lived. And so if you're trying well, to Well, it was returned to the Blue Lagoon, so they did it technically was, return. If it was a zombie movie, maybe they could have returned because they're dead. But it's just one of those movies that, A, why did we need to make this? Didn't we say all we needed to in the first one in controversial ways? Uh, you know, if you have to retcon the movie that even the cast lives from the first movie just so that you can have a sequel, you probably should have a very strong decision as to why you shouldn't have a sequel. Everything about why this movie was done. What in the world? Yeah, it's, it's even the discussion falls apart. Yeah. Here's another one. You should have decided whether we should or shouldn't have. It was a great show on HBO. It made a fun movie if you liked it. But Sex in the City... By the time they got to the second one, and they're still going back around it now to the point where they got to start killing off characters. Kim Cattrall can't get along with anybody on the set. She's not a part of it. But Sex and the City 2, I was forced to watch it. You were forced to watch it. I've had wives and girlfriends in my life. Yes. Um, and I'm not I'm not knocking. I've had many a show that I've made people watch that they're rolling their eyes, and I totally get it. You know, I did mention I'm a big fan of a movie that I don't recommend called Real Men. Other people will say, well, he made me watch it. I never did. But Sex and the City 2, no. This was purely a, cra- a cash grab. That's all it was. That's all we need to say. I pity you that you had to actually watch that. You I know, truly do. You get some movies when they come out. Oof. You hear about the premise of the movie. I'm switching gears to a new movie, by the way. We're done yes. with Sex in the City. It's lightning in a bottle. It re- This sounds stupid. And then you watch it, you're like, this is actually really good. Who would have thought a bomb on a bus, that if it goes under 50 oh, miles boy. an hour, yeah. <laughs> is going to blow up? What? The premise was oh, so stupid. Man. You get Keanu. Oh, you get man. Keanu Reeves. Now you got to look at this from the from the era 1993, I think that the first 92 that the first movie came out. Keanu Reeves' biggest role to this point was Bill and Ted, and he was oh, lo- yes. every role he had done that was notable at all. This he's was kinda, 1994 for this. Yeah, one. he's kind of a surfer dude, man. And whether it was the Stoner in Parenthood, whether it was you know uh, Point Break, they're all surfers, man. And now he's got to do be taken seriously as a cop and he pulled it off and here's this young up-and-coming actress that nobody had heard of who now is a huge actress sandra bullock and you've got dennis hopper who's coming back into the fold and everything about it just seemed really stupid and this director who used to be a director of photography not a director director but everything just kind of came together and it clicked and it worked and it was a great movie and speed big time speed is a really good movie stop it right there Keanu Reeves did not want to come back. They no, all, they no, offered he didn't. It, they offered it to him, and they said, "We're gonna okay, we're gonna do it again, but we're gonna do it on a cruise ship." Well, aren't cruise ships kind of not fast? I mean, they might outgo me if I'm walking or jogging, but why would you call it speed on a slow moving cruise speed ship? Speed to cruise control, like. Doesn't that just automatically sound bad because that's a bit of an oxymoron of a title? It it works against itself when you're calling it that. I think you just hit on it. Nothing about this movie really works. Nothing about the first one should have worked. It just did. They had a great cast and everybody was on board that knew what they were doing. And that's not to say, I mean, you got Willem Dafoe as the bad guy in the second one. He's excellent. But this just... No, it was a stupid premise in the first place that worked. I'm it gonna, was a gimmick that worked. I'm going to borrow something from an, another series of episodes that we've done, our Fix It series, where we came up with ideas for how to fix things. I don't know if this would have settled everything with Speed 2, but why not call it Speed 2 off the rails and put it on a train? That could have been fun. If you wanted to do something involving transportation of some kind, forget a cruise ship, 
Put it on a train. Put you them know, on a train and have them go careening along there. Hoove is onto something. More good decisions like that, you could have got Keanu Reeves back. Maybe so. Instead, they, they were seeking the cash grab, and they, they wanted to make it on a cruise ship. Uh, clearly, they had more fun filming in the sun. It's one of those movies that it really gets put up a lot as one of the worst sequels, and it is. And it had no right to be... Uh, the first one had no right to be as good as it was. So the fact that it yeah. did, that was something. Guys, wow, we've done good. Let's cut our loss. And not even losses. Let's just accept that we did something really good by accident. Let's walk away. And let's just, when, how did you know how yeah, to, well, call you know. it good. All right, next one. So Saturday Night Fever is one of the biggest disco hits from the 70s. It's got a big soundtrack. Whether you like disco or you don't like disco, it was what it was. So in 1983, when disco was long dead, by the way, they revived disco nonetheless with director Sylvester Stallone. I'm not even making that up. And they took the title of another BG song, Staying Alive. Now, when I first saw Staying Alive and there's a sweaty guy on the cover who's John Travolta, I thought it might be something like The Purge. You know, like, oh, they're going to be after him. He's got to try to stay alive for 24 hours. No, it's just the BG song. And it's another disco song set in the 80s. A no. Everything about that movie, somebody really loved the 70s and shag carpet and weren't ready to say goodbye to it in 1983 when everyone had long since goodbye to that stuff. No, we'll bring it back, man. And that's what Stallone and Travolta did. And it's just, it's bad. Really bad. Yep. Need we say more? No, not really. We've touched base on this, actually, so I'll just be real quick about this. Uh, Superman 4, The Quest for Peace. Oh, man. We just did an episode yep. about that, so that's all I'm going to say, but it is that bad. And then the last one I've got on my list, the first one was another one of those. I can't, It was lightning in a bottle, but not to the level of success that Speed was. But it was one of those that was just like, what? Really? And they pulled it off. They made it work. And it was about hanging out for the weekend with your dead boss, making him look alive. Oh, my God. Weekend at Bernie's. This is one of those, you got to remember, this is not filet mignon, and it wasn't promising to be. I mean, you're hanging out with a dead guy, played by a stuntman, who did a good job as playing a dead guy, if that says anything. Let's do it again. Same thing with Speed 2. They should know we caught lightning in a bottle. Let's recognize that and just everybody walk away. Sounds like The Hangover. They did the third one. Yeah, you're right. That's you're right. Um, there is nothing redeemable about this movie oh at all. Oh, gosh. Not only that, but they because there is, like Jaws the Revenge, I think they took this part from Jaws the Revenge. It was too good of a plot line for Jaws the Revenge, so they're going to put it in Weekend at Bernie's 2 where there's a witch doctor involved who actually reanimates the corpse. And so Bernie, when certain music plays, will stand up and start walking. The funny thing about the actor who played him, this is the best role he ever played. He was—he showed up occasionally on TV's Night Court. He was in one of the Friday the 13th movies. I can't think of anything else he was in other than this. He's dead, and he steals the show. He's the only good thing about it, and oh, that's man. not saying a lot. Just don't. You know what's, what's funny about this list, Dave, is that I, I've got sequels in mind that I could probably add on to it, and yet I think for some of them, there is debate for for some sequels out there where some are just highly contentious where people are like, you know, I did actually kind of like that. And then other people are like, I really did not. I didn't like that at all. For me, I, I think of the the sequel series of Star Wars a little bit that way. I think of, you know, 
um, the Last Jedi, you know, comes to mind as well. Or, or if you want to go back to the original, the prequel trilogy, you look at the Phantom Menace or Attack of the Clones, and some people liked elements of those, but didn't like the movies on the whole. Or, and that includes me. But that, you know, I, I'm going for the bottom the, of the barrel here. Yeah, uh, that's and that's the point that I'm making here is that when you're going through a list of movies that are just universally, completely and utterly panned. Like, you go through, type in worst sequels of all time on Google. You just heard them. You just heard the list right there, or a good chunk of the list. I've not seen The Sting 2, and yet it is listed on there, and apparently was just absolutely terrible. Following up on a classic movie with a classic duo together. Like, you, what you just heard is basically the list, like the scraping, the bottom of the barrel. There's coral, there's rocks, there's whale poo, and then there's these movies that Dave just listed off. Like, there, there's hardly any debate to be had about any of these because that is truly the list right there. You know, there's a lot of movies and sequels that just aren't good. Uh, we've talked about the Star Wars movies, the prequels, the sequels. They're not as good. But are they good? Yeah, to a point. There's a bar that's been set, and they all just come in under that bar. I really did like The Force Awakens. I did. I, it took me almost a year and a half to figure out how much I really, truly didn't like The Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker was just trying to glue hair back on after a really bad haircut. It, it tried. I'll give them credit. They're not bad movies, but you know when you really grew up with loving something so much, they just don't live up to it. Right. And there's, for every one of those, there's a million more where the first one was really good and the second one not as good. That's pretty much almost every sequel. Very rare air do you get an Aliens and a Godfather 2 and an Empire Strikes Back and some others, too, that are better than the first one, maybe. That just doesn't hardly ever happen. And um, there are some that have got part 12 where they probably should have stopped at part four. You know, I'm looking at you fast and the furious. But that's not to say that they're bad movies. They just, they're not what they were. The first one was what it was, and then they dropped the ball, and then they kind of reinvented themselves. And now they're dropping the ball again, and it's just going on too far. Yeah. It's time to let it go. That's a whole other debate. That's a whole other category. But when we're talking about glory and the follow-up is that's what we're talking about. You just heard it. Like, that's that's the list right there. And there is, I mean, I would love to hear somebody try to debate the merit of almost any of those movies that you listed. Maybe there's a little bit of debatable, uh, a debatable nature to some of those oh, that absolutely. you listed off. Absolutely. But for a lot of those, I mean, you, you go through any list and they are popping up on there and people are going, that was that was." utterly and completely pathetic yeah a waste of my time to even watch it to the point where you're not even debating the merits of the movie as much as why did they even did anybody think this was a good idea yeah you know if they just outright canceled the new batgirl movie that was it's filmed it's it's not done but they decided you know we're just not going to release this and they've been really kind of quiet as to why they're going to release it you got to think some of these movies that got made and they got released at some point somebody had to screen them in the theater and somebody said yeah put it out this is where january is well known as being a dumping ground for movies that they've already made and they know they're dumpster fire so we need to get them out we'll put them out when people have spent all their christmas cash that's why movies in january and february are kind of eh. there's a, a few surprises out there that they'll put some things out because they know there's no competition and they'll do well 
But somebody just didn't hit the abort button on these movies. You know, Speed 2, boy, I thought we were going to do something good here. But, oh, you know what? We spent money on this. We're going to lose money on this. Let's just cut our losses and walk away and start work pre-production on Speed on Speed 3. It might be better than what we were about to make. And it'll be the true Speed 2. Somebody needed to make a decision and didn't. And almost that is the discussion you have when you talk about some of the movies that we just talked about. Exactly. Some of them are fun. If you do want to spend a little time and you can't fall asleep, get on Wikipedia or somewhere and look up the behind the scenes and how some of these movies were made. Uh, Caddyshack 2 comes to mind immediately. Dumpster fire from the moment uh, that uh, John Peter said, let's do another one. And keep in mind, too, in some cases, there there is simply no choice. You have no choice. You are seeing the story out to its completion. I'm going back to what you talked about earlier with Twilight. There was no choice by that point. You you are going to finish this one way or another. As awful as this has gotten by this point, you know you've got your audience. You know you're going to feed and, and cater to your audience, even though these are just dreadful movies. Same goes for one that I had that I was thinking in mind for this, which is The Hobbit, The Battle of the Five Armies. Awful. Terrible. CGI was brutal. They they had just stretched out a story that had gone for way too long by this point. Um, and that third movie was unfortunately the product of it. First movie was pretty good. Second movie was okay. Third movie abysmal. But I, you know, but, the same but they, logic. But they had to finish it. But the same logic applies to insisting on finishing eating your pizza in the midst of battling a stomach flu. At some point, you just need to realize it's time to cut your losses, go into the bathroom, and just call it a night. And that's the thing about a lot of these sequels. Here is. You didn't have to do it. You did not have to go that route. You mm. you really did not have to. But but for whatever reason, whether it was the studio going, hey, churn one out, or going, hey, I want to make some money myself, Francis Ford Coppola, or, hey, it feels like there's maybe a story that we could tell here, and or there's fan fan pressure that's there to try to go make another one. You kind of talk yourself into then making that sequel and following up with it, and then what you end up with is something that was highly regrettable in the end. If you want to do a deep dive on how bad sequels can be made, I mean that's not the only reason, but it's one of them, and we did touch base on this. John Peters is a producer. He was a producer on many movies, the first Batman movie, uh, Caddyshack 2, and others. If you can handle the word uh, Effenheimer in its true form, get on YouTube and look up Kevin Smith's Superman. He was hired to write a movie, a Superman movie, that ultimately did not get made. But the story of Kevin Smith retelling how these meetings were going with John Peters to make this Superman movie in which Superman was not to wear the cape, he was not to fly, he's going to battle a giant spider. You got if you, It's about, I don't know, maybe a 20-minute listen, and it's totally worth it. <laughs> there will be a lot of F words, so just be prepared. If that's not your thing, then just you have been warned. But it is, this is how bad sequels get made by people who have the power to make them. Uh, and they're going to do it because it'll be awesome. Yeah, but what what do you need to say? Nothing. It'll be awesome. It'll be, we'll make some money. We make bank. Yeah, but why are we doing this? But he wanted the job. So Oddly insightful. Well idiot. worth checking yeah. out. Kevin Smith, Superman, look it up on YouTube. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater on Highway 2, just down from the airport. They've got the renovations going on there now. Very excited to see how all of that plays out moving forward in the next few months with those theaters. Um, I need boy, a drink of some sort. Get the taste out of my mouth. Yeah, exactly. After all of this filth that we discussed, <laughs> maybe consider strongly sequels when you go to the theater and check it out. 
Do they, um, do they keep holy water in the church down the street? I might need some. Here's here's a good reminder, though, if you've had a horror experience watching a, a terrible sequel, <laughs> at the very least, you get a good story to tell. Out yeah. Of so, you know, any of the movies we've said that you kind of wanted to watch, we're not saying don't. You just, just know or, hey, what you're walking into. Maybe you truly are that much of a movie ambulance chaser that you can't help but go through this list. If that's If that's what you like to do... Well, it's on you. By all means, you but have it been is, warned. It is most definitely on you. Um, maybe find a commentary on it or something. How do you do a commentary for one of these uh, without making it a parody? You're drunk and pass out by halfway through the thing. That commentary would be nothing by the second half Def- of the movie. Definitely not condoning that. I don't so. remember this part. Oh, that's right. I got up and left. Exactly. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Joel Hoover. I'm Dave Brooks. And we will see you at the movies.